Hi, I'm Mark Nielski. I'm the author of The Economics of Happiness and my new book, An Economy of Wellbeing. Welcome to the Economy of Wellbeing podcast. I believe the most important aspiration of our life is well-being and genuine happiness. But by happiness, I refer to the original Greek definition, which literally means well-being of your spirit or well-being of your soul. I also believe we have an opportunity to change the consciousness of our world and the planet by rediscovering the true meaning of the words of business and economics, such as the word wealth, which literally means the conditions of well-being from the Old English. In my podcast, I'm joined with some incredible guests and elders to talk about the development of this new economy based on well-being. I wrote about those ideas in my new book, An Economy of Well-Being, Common Sense Tools for Building Genuine Wealth and Happiness. We'll explore many of those topics in these podcasts with some of my great guests. You'll learn how to adopt some of these ideas in your personal life, your business, and your community. I hope you enjoy these podcasts and feel more hopeful about the future. You can learn more about my book, The Economy of Wellbeing, from my website, economyofwellbeing.com. That's economyofwellbeing.com. And you can also purchase my book on Amazon as an ebook or a paper copy, or listen to my podcast and be inspired. Have a wonderful life. I'm very honored to have my next special guest on the podcast. His name is Lewis Cardinal. Lewis comes from the Woodland Cree First Nation in Northern Alberta. He's a communicator and educator who has dedicated his life work to creating and maintaining connections and developing relationships with cross-cultural divides. A lot of his work has taken him into intergovernmental and interfaith work, as well as community development. He has a long track record of public service, including founding board member of the Alberta Aboriginal Arts, board member of the Theatre Network, and co-chair of the Aboriginal Commission for Human Rights and Justice. He's also a trustee of the Council for Parliament of World Religions. He's received the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal for his public service. He has other distinguishing degrees, including an honorary degree of Doctor of Sacred Letters from the St. Stephen's College at the University of Alberta. Some of my favorite quotes from Lewis Cardinal are when I asked elders what is the most critical thing that we as human beings are facing today, the response collectively is relationships. It seems, he says, that we have forgotten how to have relationships, not only amongst human beings, but also with our environment, with the cosmos, and with the spirit world. He believes that we're entering into a whole new relationship and a way of seeing ourselves as Canadians. He says, I think the previous version of how we saw ourselves as Canada and as Canadians is due to an overhaul, is due for an overhaul, because Canada is quite a multicultural and diverse citizenry. Now, more than ever, as a healthy and forward-looking nation, Lewis believes that we have to engage in that kind of dialogue to re-see ourselves, because we are different than we were 150 years ago. Even though some of the news that we see today about Indigenous relations and things like that are still issues that we have to address, he believes we still have a positive outlook that Canada is headed in a direction 
that's really going to set a model for the rest of the world to watch. Meaningful conversations, he says, means that we need to start talking with the heart. And you start talking about the things that find that you find in common looking in the same direction. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Lewis Cardinal. Lewis Cardinal is a dear friend and an amazing storyteller, a man who originates from Sucker Creek, Alberta, a man of Cree origins, of the Cree Nation, the Woodland Cree. Lewis and I have been friends for probably over 10 years, exploring the story of Edmonton, of the Pehonan, the story of the Great Gathering Place on the North Saskatchewan River, a story of an ancient economy that pre-existed the introduction of colonialization and the British, a time when Edmonton was a flourishing gathering place, Pehonan meaning the waiting place. In the word Edmonton, Lewis tells us, is the word Monto, M-O-N-T-O. Monto means great spirit in the Cree language. What is this ancient story of Edmonton as a gathering place for indigenous peoples that probably existed for 5,000 years since the Ice Age? What is it that we can learn from this story, this economy of reciprocity, an economy where seashells were used as a form of money or currency? Lewis shares with us his understanding and stories of Pehonan, the waiting place, as told by elders who he's had the good fortune of meeting in his lifetime. These stories transcend history books. In fact, our history books don't record these stories. I never learned these stories until I met Lewis, and he shared them with me. Whether Lewis's story is perfectly accurate, whether the Cree understanding and stories of the gathering is different from the Blackfoot, it probably doesn't matter. What we have here is an inspired idea, a story that may just be the salvation of Canada. Ganeta, meaning sacred place or village. He said that uh, everything, anything created by man needs to be watched very closely. <laughs> that was Whoa, his, that, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Watched very closely. Yeah. It's true, right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. That's why we need to have regulation and, and, uh, and policies that look over our technologies and our governance systems. And that's Lewis Cardinal joining me today from my round kitchen table in Edmonton, sharing stories about his father and elders who passed down stories of Edmonton and the great Pehonan. Uh, can become very, that's the, be very destructive. Very destructive. And that's what um, we, we have to know. But also we can become very caring and loving as well. Yeah. So we have that great light side of ourselves and also that dark side of ourselves as well. And I think that's why 
ceremony brings us into balance mm. with, that, with that life and helps us to maintain balance. Right? Yeah. But, um, so, but one, one thing that they do <clears throat> say is that, well, when you're using, when you're using brute force and you're using uh, uh, political will to achieve goals that perhaps most of the other people don't, don't agree with, that that's the law of the jungle. Well, mm. in fact, the jungle probably has more laws and rules to it than I think we're willing to <laughs> to, to accept no, or understand, right? Yeah. yeah. So can we talk about uh, that? I mean, I'm, I'm that this notion of the laws. I mean, you're a, you come from a Cree woodland Cree culture. Yeah. And I know that when we talk about some of the challenges we're facing now in Canada with the pipelines and the uh, Wet'suwet'en, yeah. however you say it, I always I always get it wrong. Wet'suwet'en. Wet'suwet'en is what I say. Wet'suwet'en. Yeah. But I mean, the standoff really over an interp well, an understanding and respect for law, uh, Indigenous law. Of course, we have the our British law, which comes from Roman law. Um, can you talk about how? Um, the Cree laws or the, the laws of nature uh-huh. are so important and foundational to kind of reimagining um, this a better relationship with, with Canada. Yes. Um, and how it, it might be a path forward for, for uh, reconciling what appears to be very strong divisions right now. Well, sure. I think that um, really any indigenous... Uh, law or laws are based on natural law. Right. You know that's the foundation of it. It's what what do we see out in nature? Yeah. Um, that really shapes how how we shape our interactions within the human community. Right. Right. And then shaping the relationship we do have with the environment that that surrounds us that mm. permeates us. Mm-hmm. So when we look to natural law, it teaches us that certain things are are. Are, are closely related with each other. Mm. You know, I mean, like, you can look at, at, at water, for example, and how much it is so important, critical to life and living, and mm-hmm. how that that water then needs to be uh, protected, needs to, it needs to be um, looked after, I guess is what you can say. Yeah. When you look at na- n- nature and, and natural law within uh, the forest, for example, and how everything is interconnected, and it requires uh, everyone to play their role and their part. So you take everyone, everything, plants, animals, uh, all that, all that stuff, is interconnected. So what does that teach us? Is that as human beings, we have an interconnected relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. We all, as a community, require each other to play our roles. Now, w- the way that when the Europeans came. Uh, they didn't have the concept of team sports, <laughs> right? No, they didn't. No, it's usually mano a mano, one on one. Right. That, with the exception of war. <laughs> right. But um, what we what we did bring to them was that teaching from the environment, the interconnectedness, and how it relies on each other in order to succeed, mm. in order to survive. So when you are playing sports, then each individual needs to play their role, their part, their their position. So when you're playing shinny, which is now called hockey, yeah, 
everybody has a, a role to play. And all together, if you're playing your role properly or, or your position properly, the team succeeds. So a circle, the yeah. notion of circle, the notion of so that all means, my relations. But yeah. each person within that circle, mm. within that team, has an important role. Has a unique gift, a calling, if a vocation. That's right. So if you're a goalie, you're yeah. probably a goalie because you exhibited some, some you know, natural talent to you know, stop the ball yeah. from, from getting into the net. And they're saying, hey, let's get so-and-so to be the goalie right. because he's, he or she's really good. So, so one of the, the ahas that came to me when I met Karen Pheasant at Rocky Nantes' kitchen yeah. one day, and she said, do you know that Maslow got his hierarchy of needs model from the Blackfoot when sure. he was in southern Alberta? I yeah. said, what? So you mean he turned the notion of a circle, a medicine wheel, into a pyramid? Yeah. A classic kind of Western view of the world that, you know, that somehow the pyramid, the apex, is how everything is structured, yeah. uh, our governance structures, the queen, the, and, well, and yeah. yet the circle is a much right. different um, model of, of shared responsibility. Yeah. Can you talk about sort of, well, sure. to I, me I those think, images are what's, what we're dealing with right now. I think Maslow, uh, in my opinion, of course, um, I think Maslow, um, he uh, took the framework that he saw within the, the Blackfoot tradition. Right. And then applied his own interpretation to it, where he then placed on top, you know, food, water, shelter, that, that sort of thing. Right, mm-hmm. right. right. Your, your needs. Um, I did work with Enveronics uh, in a, a national, cross-national um, uh, survey of indigenous people and their hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to uh, uh, Mr. Adams, who... From Enveronics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, you know, before we, before we began, I said, I think you're going to find something very interesting in the responses. And he was adamant. He goes, no, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is pretty clear and pretty consistent. And I said, well, you're going to see something different here. Mm. Because as I understand my people, they're going, to, they're going to point towards other things that are not in my, necessarily in Maslow's hierarchy right, of needs. Right, right. Needs, right? Yeah. And so we did, we did the survey and... Uh, Sure as heck, it came out that indigenous people felt that culture was the, one of the most important things. Interesting. At the top of the pyramid, right? That was created from that information. Identity, you know, was another, and then so in other words, rel- came later. relationships. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So then he admitted <laughs> to me because you know you were absolutely right, and I was wrong. Wow. Because I've never, I've never seen this before. That's amazing. Yeah, because and then because of the work that we did with. Um, with the Edmonton Urban Aboriginal Accord Relationship Agreement, when we conducted our interviews and our talking circles with over like 3,000, almost 3,000 people, right? there were uh, a number of, of that. There were like 800 that were non-Indigenous. And because of that, they felt that, that it would skew the results from the Indigenous voice. Hmm. Well, we separated those out and measured them both, and they were practically identical in terms of values and principles and what wow. they saw as, as major concerns. Yeah. So what that says to me is that it's it's a human-based thing, human human beings, because we're, we're, we are hardwired uh, to live together. To connect, as they say, we we're hardwired align. to connect. Yeah. yeah, we are hardwired yeah. to connect, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so that's where, uh, that's why we will see similar things, regardless of what culture you may come from. Right, right. You know, we we will come to those common points as to what is important. Right, yeah. and you, you took me to my first sweat lodge, and I never forget remembering. Yeah, 
hearing when we enter the lodge, we say all my relations. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting you enter your notion of church um, in the black space and you bring all your relations into Mm -hmm. the sweat lodge. Yes. And I think that's a beautiful reminder that uh, this notion of seven generations of, right, the relationship with nature, uh, that nature is our model and our inspiration. And that's, Uh, well, I mean, that's the foundation. I mean, like indigenous when we use the term indigenous, while it means, it comes from the word indigena, which means uh, born of the land or springs from the mm. land. That's the, that's the denotation. The connotation, though, is relationships, in mm. relationship to, in relation to. Mm. So, so that means that we as indigenous people, regardless of what we call ourselves, are living in relation to nature in relation to the spirit world in relation to our relatives in relation to the cosmos right uh so it's not just us fighting for survival and trying to put ourselves at the apex of of creation Mm -hmm. rather what we're doing is we're recognizing when we go into the sweat lodges and when we say prayers even in in a public gathering you'll hear elders and you'll hear traditional people say all my relations you know right what they're saying is not just all my relations you know like Uncle Phil and Aunt Millie, yeah, you know, yeah. but or, or crazy cousin Bob. <laughs> I like but, crazy cousin yeah, Bob. But but what we're talking about are those other relations as well, the spirit world. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the physical reality that surrounds us, our relationship to it, and the animals that sustain us, the plants that sustain us. So we're making that declaration. Right, right. That we are holding up all of those relations as being critical. Right, right, right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's why that, that statement is important because it places us in the context of in relationship to something else. And that teaching comes directly from the great circle of life, which is exhibited in the natural world. Right? So mm. the natural world, again, uh, there are all these things sitting in this great circle of life, plants, animals. All You're not going to start singing Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know the lyrics. <laughs> I don't I even know the lyrics. Um, but yeah. no, it's right. It's there. And there's that circle again. Can... And that circle, okay, fundamentally then, this is where the shift happens. Where, uh, And this is where I see the shift happening within Canada mm-hmm. as our ex- mm-hmm. case example. Mm-hmm. Is that right now, the way that, uh, I'm going to say Western in a very general way, but I'd also throw in technological societies tend to place human beings at the center of the circle. Right. The indigenous worldviews, the world over, place human beings in this, uh, on the circle, as a part on of the circle. The circle with Not standing else. in the circle. Yeah, or... androcentric is what that's right. called, right? So we're, they place themselves as a part of the circle and not in the center of the circle. I want to reflect on that. I've experienced where we've, I've been in circle ceremony with my indigenous brother Leonard, and... So we sat in circle, and the, the dynamic of sitting in circle is really interesting yeah. if you pay attention to what's going on. But the moment we try to step into the circle, yeah. it felt like yeah. it felt like our ego was getting, you know, yeah, people's exactly. attention was focused on us, for good or bad, right? Yeah. And I thought that's an interesting experience when yes. we when, when we center ourselves in the circle and, and become sort of this it. apex it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then then we have we have a disc continuity in the relationships well the power dynamic shifts you start to control then the circle and then once that control is exhibited then it's no longer a circle right right Right. yeah so we'll get into perfect little rows and you know learn a lesson 
<laughs> so I, I want to reflect on your story of um, Edmonton, Pehonen, um, which you taught me about, which mm-hmm. I never learned in mm-hmm. three degrees at the University of Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> Nor anywhere else. Nor anywhere else. Yeah. But this, this, this story of what pre-existed before contact uh, as, a, as a relational economy um, and, and pretty amazing. If, if, whether your story is absolutely correct or the memory is correct, mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. a compelling vision. Well, for, for Canada sure. and for the sort of impasse we appear to be in today, yeah. which I see as an opportunity to return, as we've talked about, return to the yeah. notion of Kanata, yeah. return to harmony, um, maybe test this this process of circle, especially now when we seem to be just at each other's throats potentially. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, can you talk about the story of Pehonen and, and yeah. what you think existed here as an economic system well, as yeah. a governance structure just very high level i know we want to write yeah. a book about well you want to write a book about it and i'm <laughs> just your co-pilot let's, let's do that together let's do it together. <laughs> let's demonstrate that's exactly two row womp that's yeah. right you got your boat and i got mine or maybe as so Lauren lies said the circle wampum is emerging right? yeah uh, oh well that's, that's what he that. sees yeah, yeah. And, and i've i've spoken with him on a number of occasions yeah. he's also one of my uh, influencers right yeah. right um first of all i think that the economic jungle that we're in right now is out of balance mm. you know so the law of the jungle right now is a jungle out of balance yeah uh, and so we have to bring human beings have a responsibility to try to bring that balance back in mm. to balance mm-hmm. so when and we get that teaching from nature right right because right. when we're observing nature and we see uh, an imbalance too many wolves you know, mm-hmm. uh, that sort of thing. We have to too make many sure rabbits, yeah, too, too many, many whatever. Yeah. So we have to try to maintain that balance there. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and help in, in the way that we can. Um, Pehonan is a case example of of a broader structure across Canada. Mm-hmm. So Pehonan comes from the work of uh, David Mayer, uh, Doctor David Mayer. University of Saskatchewan. Mm. Uh, his work, he was hired by the Saskatchewan Power Corporation to conduct a, a watershed study of the Saskatchewan River for Saskatchewan Power. Yeah. I think they were going to build a dam or something like that. So, 1970s, they, when was uh, this? The 19, 60s? Yeah, I think it was the uh, late 70s. Okay. Yeah, yeah. early, late 70s, I yeah. think. Uh, and I'm thinking 76. Roughly. Yeah, yeah. 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 But uh, <clears throat> he... In, in conversations with the elders, because he worked with elders in northern Saskatchewan, um, and elders had identified meeting places along the Saskatchewan River system. They said all along the Saskatchewan River system, there were these places called Behonan, which means, um, literally means they wait. Meeting place, or waiting well, they, place. It means the, the, the denotation directly is they wait. Wow. You know, yeah, yeah, or yeah. the place where they wait. Wait, and, um, and uh, uh it's been connotation is that they are waiting you know mm. um, but what what are they waiting for well they're waiting for other people to come to do ceremony celebrate and trade so all of these meeting places is where a congregation of different indigenous peoples would come and make trade and celebrate and do ceremonies by the nature of the place it became sacred because that's where you gathered and there were you know some bigger pehonans than others um, and so that term came strictly from the 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 uh, cree uh, tradition mm. uh, of the saskatchewan river right so edmonton is at behonan 
What yeah. does the Scotch one mean? Uh, swift moving water. Oh, yeah. In Cree. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Kisanipani or so. No, so that's the Mississippi. Mississippi's Missis- a Cree word. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> we were everywhere, man. Wow. <laughs> I thought it was just Mark Twain. Going we were more. <laughs> we, <laughs> we were global citizens yeah. before uh, anything. But <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Because of the interconnection all over the place, and there's great oral history that was shared by my grandfather, and how we. I'll get back to Pahona in a second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but how the Cree migrated and moved all over Turtle Island, North. America mm. and he, he told me the story of how he said because I asked him this question you know are you know our Cree people you know have they ever ventured out into the rest of uh, Turtle Island he goes oh yeah he goes we've traveled all over the place he said the story he was told is that the Cree came from northern uh, Alberta area went all the way down he said to around Oregon and northern uh California. Mm. He said, then we went across the plains and went all the way over to the other seaboard, which brings it up to about Washington, right, uh, right. Virginia. Mm. Then we went up, he said, then we went up into Quebec and then we crossed and we came back this way. He said, so we made a big circle on, on Turtle Island. And if you look at the linguistic map of the Algonquian language family, mm-hmm. which is basically <clears throat> the Cree language, Cree language Algonquian. Um, because Algonquian was just picked randomly to set up this family language, when really the Algonquian language descends from the Cree, so does Ojibwa. Wow. Because the uh, TH Cree dialect is the oldest one, and yeah. linguists measure that, and they yeah. say, absolutely, that's true. But anyway, so yeah, so when you look at a linguistic map, of, yeah, uh, yeah. Of Cree speaking, Algonquian speaking uh, lang- languages. They were everywhere. It's exactly that circle that goes ah, around. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, yeah. And so, it extended how far west? And uh, 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 far west, uh, right into um, Oregon uh, and Labr- Washington. Uh, Web, yeah, Oregon, Washington, and yeah. up to Labrador. Yeah. To, yeah. 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 Uh, and then all the way across over into. Um, I think the Shoshone are also right. Algonquin-speaking people. Right. And, what, the, and the dynamic with the Dene, the, the Navajo, what yeah. what was that dynamic like? Well, the Dene, the backdoor people, is what they were known as. <laughs> the backdoor. Because we knew they came from the north. They, ah. The door oh, from the north. right. From the, yeah, and archaeologically, they... Uh, from and, the land bridge, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and they can see that they came in, you know, around... 1,200 years ago, something like that. So I know we, we kind of jump all over, but... Yeah. You Back also... to the Pejona. Yeah, Pejona. Because that's important. Yes. Um, so Edmonton then has uh, was a Pejona, small p. It's just it's, it's, it's akin to the French using the word a rendezvous. Mm-hmm. I'm going to the rendezvous. Yeah. And then they would rendezvous during the fur trade area at certain places. In fact, usually um, a Pejona. So, or a gathering place. Right. And so they, they, would, they would all come together. And so here in Edmonton, uh, at Rossdale Flats, then the indigenous nations came there. Indigenous peoples came there to trade. Yeah. You know, and uh, one of the teachings is that the, the goose, because the goose dance was a very important part of oh, that right, gathering the goose tradition. Dance. Yeah. And so... Which and the, was suppressed, right? Yeah. The, oh, yeah, the, absolutely. The, right. Oh, yeah, totally yeah. suppressed. And so they, they then, um, they would use the goose as the marker of when the pehonan was to begin. Mm-hmm. And when it would close, so yeah, I remember you're saying yeah. like when the geese flew north, it yeah. was time. It was the time to say, gather. Well, get ready for the pejona. Right. So then get all your stuff you've been making over the winter. 
Yeah. And then let's bring it over to the Pahona to do trade and yeah. and various things like that. So people would gather here in yeah. in the River Valley, North, oh, yeah, yeah. which is the bottom of Great Glacial Lake Edmonton. That's and exactly. Jared Diamond, yeah. Guns, Germs, and Steel said, this, I think he said, this he, is actually the happy hunting ground. This was the edge of the Great Continental Ice Sheet. Imagine a kilometer high yeah. sheet of ice. Land of ice. Land of ice. The yeah. Hopi talk about this place as the land of mm. ice. And we and we have um, their cocopelli left on uh, on on, ah. on rock. Uh, the one that I saw was in uh, just outside of Calgary at uh, Grotto Canyon. I have pictures of it. Wow, a Hopi cocopelli. Yes, yeah. The flute, the fl- yeah, the flute, the blue yeah. clan flute player. Wow, they were up here. Yeah, yeah. And so in their oral histories, they talk about coming up here and exploring, right, all all around. And they say that, you know, when you look at their, their swastika-type design yeah, that they yeah. have, that that was a migration map where they went oh. up and went out and then came back. Right? Interesting. Yeah, that's one of the... Like uh, the ancient Sanskrit yeah, symbol. That's right. Yeah. So they were up here, and then they mm-hmm. called this Land of Ice. So if you're, you know, if you're, if you're way out in, uh, you know, in Calgary and along the foothills here, and then you look north, you see these mile to mile high walls of ice... That's the land oh, of ice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, okay. Uh, so when the Laurentide and the um, uh, and the, the Rocky Mountain ice sheets opened, the Cordilleran ice sheets yeah, opened yeah. up. Then Indigenous people came through. Jared Diamond says that Edmonton is the birthplace of civilization. Right. Because that's where nations came, and then you match that up with oral histories of the of the Lene Lenape, the uh, Cherokee. They talk about migrating through here. Yeah many thousands of years ago right right and so they have oral histories of that time and stopping in this area the lenape for example talk about creating their writing system here in the edmonton area and they they confirm that uh at their uh, uh, biannual um history summit that that they would hold yeah so so the pehonan then attracted many different indigenous nations the yakima used to come up here and trade in medicines. They are from Washington State. Yeah, Edmonton yeah. specifically was noted as a medicine trading center. Mm-hmm. But they used to come up to the refugia in the Rocky Mountains here, just directly west of Edmonton, like the Red Cap refugia. Mm-hmm. And they would pick only, because only there would these would these plants grow, and nowhere else in the world, right? So they go up there and they pick, and they still do. Wow. They still make their, their annual trip up there to pick these kind of medicines and these are in the valleys and the rockies yeah which which we know ecologically is called montane it's very unique yes ecological yes exactly zone right the montane zone that's right exactly and so then they would pick those and then people would come here and trade the the Mm. churchill river cree system for example have songs about coming here to to trade in in their medicines so yeah that was that was known about it yeah so but these pehona were the original uh, birthplace of the concept of win-win. <laughs> because... Win-win? Win-win. Win-win. Yeah. Oh, I thought win-win. Yeah. Win-win, yeah. Yeah, because, no. you know, when, when you come into trade, you are going to ensure, and there, was a, there were principles and values of ensuring that people left with more than what they came with. Right, so this notion of mutuality, yes, of shared so, responsibility. It wasn't just the, the acquisition of uh, material yeah. goods either. It was ceremonies and it was knowledge. Yeah. So exchanges of knowledge. Amazing. Right? Yeah. The original, you know, 
sure. knowledge economy. Yeah. And then know. when we look at all these old trade routes, there's old trade routes all over North mm-hmm. America, mm-hmm. one which we know that's really close to us. I mean, the, the, the route, the land route that went through Edmonton eventually hooked up with this great... Uh, trail system that went from all the way up up um, the north along the uh, Rocky Mountain Range, the front mm-hmm. range of that, mm-hmm. and then all the way down to Mexico. Wow. So there's trails that uh, all connect up there, and those were used as trading trails. Wow. Yeah. And we know that uh, through the uh, collection of um, uh, volcanic glass, obsidian. Right, which up, you, you've yeah. explained to me is was one of the rare thing, the yeah. rarest, uh, you know, materials. It was, it was... The best, apparently, it was the best volcanic glass around because it didn't have much ash in it. Right, right. So when you're when you're flinting um, uh, volcanic glass and has ash in it, it makes it very difficult to flint properly. So Mount Aizaiza, which is in the, the middle of British Columbia, uh, that's where a lot of mining went on for that glass, and then that glass ah, was, okay. was brought up here, was brought to the trails and sent out, so you can find it way down south and even in the mouth of the Mississippi River. Right. But also asphalt, um, asphalt, yeah, uh, asphalt. from, from uh, northern uh, Alberta was also traded. Bitumen. 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 Exactly, yeah. because then it was melted down and they used bitumen to repair canoes. Canoes, right. Various yeah. things. So it as, was a, right. as a tar sand. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> and that stuff was made into bricks that they would carry. Wow, right? wow. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So, so, so tell, as an economist, you, you've shared with me something pretty amazing was that in, in this Pejonan, in this, I mean, there was, there were certain protocols of, of relationship of entering the, the space, but also in terms of money systems, mm-hmm. um, you, you've told me that there was no such thing as coins and, and money as we know it today. Yeah. Um, but they used, um, two forms of shells, yes. dentelia and yes. the cowrie shell. Exactly. And to me, that's yeah. an amazing story. So yeah. what, what's your understanding of how, why they used these particular two shells? And we know that one didn't, wasn't indigenous to North America, to Turtle Island. <laughs> the cowrie shell came from Polynesia, apparently. Yes, it the, does. Ata- yeah, it Aitaroa the, uh, from the yeah. Maori, from the Tahitians, exactly. um, Polynesians. That's interesting because the Polynesians have their own oral histories about uh, following the, um, the underwater river systems uh, and their star charting. Wow. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and they talk about going as far as Haida Gwaii. Yeah, I was given this. This yes. is Scorpio. Yes. Of course, they don't have scorpions in Tahiti, and they said this is what we we followed. Oh yes, to the very tip of the South Island of Hawaii. Yes, exactly. from the tip of the octopus, and which the Hawaiian, is yeah. Tahiti is shaped like an octopus. Yeah, that's right. And the eye of the octopus, Ottaway, yeah. is the sacred launch point from which they would sail, yeah. following the Scorpio mm-hmm. um, constellation. Yeah, that's amazing. Amazing. They, they're they're so advanced yeah. in that, and now they're seeing the Polynesians landed in, uh, and even uh, Austro Australians, uh, Australians, uh, Aboriginal Australians yeah. have landed in in uh, in South America, and they have the human genome to prove it. Right, right. And we also know the Salutrians came uh, over to, from southern France and northern Spain and landed in the eastern seaboard thousands of years ago because wow. the, the genomes show it. So, so you're saying that the the Polynesians have stories of these following these underground oh, yeah, rivers, yeah. and they into... went as far as Haida Gwaii. Wow! Yeah. So they brought somehow these shells came with how them. How do you how do you think how they got do you, here? Yeah, exactly. How Be- did they get here? The cowrie shell, as you know, was the first form of money. 
Right. Yeah, and the Chinese were using Chinese at Tahitian, the yeah. Taiwanese, indigenous Taiwanese exactly. used shells, yeah. But when you look at the uh, Dentalia shell, uh, which is only found in the western, uh, yeah. uh, the west, uh, the west coast, um, and and then you look at it, and then you look at the cowrie shell, you have a male and female symbol. Right. The yeah. Dentalia long, yeah. kind yeah. of phallic, yeah, like exactly. Yeah, and the cowrie being like yeah. an. And, and within many teachings of indigenous people, is uh, male and female are very important things in order to complete a ceremony. Right. Right. So they would collect these things, and when you look at ancient uh, materials that have been collected from different indigenous nations, you find you find the cowrie shell as a part of mm-hmm. the uh, of their dress. Dress. But also the dentalia as a part of their dress and their jewelry. Right. And so, the wampum. Yeah. And the wampum. And the wampum. Yeah. The wampum. The. the the two out, row out wampum in the, tree out in the east coast yeah, yeah. with the yeah. iroquois with the six nations yeah yes that's right that's right yeah. and um uh, so so th- what what's what's being shown is that indigenous people had extensive trading routes that went beyond north america mm-hmm. along with that came knowledge of understanding of other people that were in different areas and this is where the importance of treaty and treaty relations come in because it's it's again Treaty was originally based with the Europeans on trade. As a matter of fact, the Mi'kmaq mm. word for trade and peace is the same word. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yes. So speaking of which, I know I, I jump a bit, but I, I visited, you know Oren Lyons, the Turtle yeah. Clan uh, spirit, faith keeper of, of the Onondaga yes, Nation, which yeah. is the uh, mother longhouse of the six nations um, which include the Mohawks so we see in the news of oh, course the Onondaga the, call themselves the philosophers the philosophers <laughs> of the so, Nation <laughs> so it was uh, you know meeting in their longhouse a few years ago uh, with Grand Chief Sid Hill and Warren yes. Lyons yeah. uh, it was fascinating because in, in the longhouse uh, on the table was the Tura Wampum yeah. the original treaty with George Washington oh the Tura Wampum uh, was in 1613, right? And that was with the Dutch. That's right. You're the right. Before the Dutch. the Dutch, but in uh, in 1659 is the covenant chain. So they brought the two row wampum and then created the covenant chain in Albany mm. with uh, with the uh, Continental Congress. Right. Well, I mean the the colonies that were there. Yeah. And I know this because my eighth. Ninth great grandfather was Daniel uh, Garagante. Wow. Who was, I think, the great great grandfather of Louis Claraconte, who came out here. Louis Claraconte's last name was uh, translated into Callahou or Calio. And uh, Michelle Callahou Band, that's just west, mm-hmm. that was just west of uh, Edmonton. Uh, he was the son of Louis. So wow. it was interesting for me to find that my which are the I, known I as the sun connection. travelers, yeah, right? uh, yeah. So <clears> moving <throat> my yeah. my neighbor is a descendant of Calais. Exactly. Yeah, so that's my relative. Yeah, sun travelers. Through my great grandmother. Wow. Yeah, uh, my second great grandmother. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so I can follow that line right up to the presenting of the creation of the covenant chain by D- Daniel Garagunta. Wow. Yeah. So the, the reason I asked that question is because. Oren would say, tell the story. And they had pictures, like, of course, paintings of the, the sitting down with George Washington. So we're looking, you know, we're looking at America today yeah. and saying the inspiration that Franklin, Benjamin Franklin got was from the Iroquois Confederacy model. That's right. The other 
inspiration that I learned was where did they get this great law of peace from they talk about. Yes. And they talk about 2,000 years ago or so, some white person maybe well, came from afar. That, that and there, is... there was a warring, there yeah. was a warring chief. Their chief was yeah. uh, called Snake, Snakehead. And they said that he was a very militant chief. Yeah. And it was this great law of peace which came to the women because of matrilineal structure. Yeah. And the women understood these laws, the law of water, the great law of peace, yes. which um, allowed the Iroquois Confederacy to become more harmonious. With the other nations. Right. So on Lake Onondaga, where the great law of peace is, yeah. was, um, I guess, understood or, or realized, mm -hmm. is now what I think we're hearing, we're hearing remnants of this in the news today from the Mohawk saying at least the matrilineal memory um, as faded as it is is saying this great law of peace is what guides us and yeah. the laws of water is what the women carry yes. literally in their bodies and their DNA yeah, so what what do you what do you make of the opportunity here that well this... the great the great white roots of peace that come out of the the tree yeah of, uh, the great of great peace is meant to extend to any nation who wishes to take it that means white people, that means mm. any people. That's right, what it right. was originally meant. But it was rooted uh, by the um, uh, by the by the Onondaga then creating their their uh, relationship their their confederacy. Mm -hmm. Right? Their, mm -hmm. and so so but that those white right white roots of peace were meant to reach out. One thing that we forget is Canadians in seventeen sixty four, exactly one year after the development of the Royal Proclamation, after mm, right. the Treaty of Ghent and, and you know, the the, the, the the war between the French and the yeah, English. Yeah. The English secure um, North America. Uh, well, they push out the French basically. Sure, sure. Uh, there was a great council and there's a book called hmm. The Council of seventeen sixty four. The Queen in Council. Wow. What happened was in Niagara, they brought the Covenant chain mm. that was original that was brought to the British. Okay. In Albany and in New York, by the Onondaga, Daniel Garagante brought that to them. The to, Covenant to chain. A, the Covenant chain. Yeah. Three links: peace, friendship, and understanding. <laughs> or yeah. Wow. Or respect. Yeah, yeah. Those three things link those ships together that are moving down the Great River. All oh, right. Yeah. As long as the rivers flow, yeah. we shall walk side by side. As long as the grass grows, grows. as long as the sun shines. shines. Ah, the right. two-row wampum talks about we shall be like brothers and sisters. So when you look at all the treaties made in Canada, they have those principles in the treaties. We shall be like brothers and sisters for as long as the sun shines, the grass grows, and the rivers flow. Mm -hmm. um, these are our foundational statements that uh, are Amazing. the core of indigenous treaty-making traditions. People think that the Europeans brought treaty to us. Actually, we brought treaty to them. But our understanding of how treaty was to be made, and treaty was to be made before things got out of hand, mm -hmm. conflict and war Before conflict. Because that's where you great, know you're going to yeah, get into conflict. That's where like, the great law of peace comes in. Right, right. right. Because that person Interesting. who brought Whoever it, that person was... Uh, yeah. And, and I may be getting this wrong, but what I understand is that they talk about this mysterious person who came... This is what I understand. Uh, a mysterious person came from the north and brought that law to them and taught them. Because they talk in their oral histories and some written stuff that he was not Iroquois. 
he came from the north is what the reference is. I think there's an application of a, a white guy coming, but Christ was not white. Exactly. He was, he was as we were. He was yeah. Palestinian. Yeah. That's right. So yeah, he was... I'm seeing a Christian influence in right. that story. Right. So here's an interesting tangent. Something I just read, um, which connects to this story, is uh, a, a book by Peter Sheffield, I think is his name. He's a Jungian scholar, but he's, he's a Greek scholar too. He studies the diaries of Pythagoras. And he finds that Pythagoras encountered someone who came from afar, probably from Inner Mongolia or Mongolia, yeah. and appeared in Greece to teach Pythagoras mm-hmm. about sacred geometry. Huh. And this book is called A Story Waiting to Pierce You, yeah. where this indigenous person, yeah. and he says, every new civilization starts with an ecstasy, a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the point in this very short book is which is a story and yet you you can see that it is always it's always in history it seems like an indigenous person comes and reminds us of what we've forgotten mm-hmm. and and he and he comes he travels through space and time on a three-dimensional arrow of some kind yes and pierces creates you know the whole foundation of greek right and roman civilization yes which Today we find ourselves kind of maybe on the verge of yet another story waiting to pierce us. Yeah, that's right. And I think that we're preparing the flesh for that. <laughs> yes. And that's uh, because I'm, I'm a sun dancer as well and I've pierced. Mm. And so you don't just... Oh, right. The, of course. The you know, that's what yeah. I'm saying. But, so I'm, I'm, I'm using yeah. it in a different Right, of course. Yeah, right? yeah. Because that change is painful. Oh, yeah. And that's why when we pull, we it's you're you're offering that pain wow, to yeah. change. Wow, right? that's change powerful. Yourself, change, but offering it to all your relations. Yeah, you know. So we're saying yes. This is a painful time, and it it's is. it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. We're gonna make it. Through. We're gonna make it through. If we get back to the natural rhythm of things, yeah. and, and and we set our our mental clocks and emotional clocks to the natural rhythm of what mother earth has offered us yeah and the consistency of what the spirit world offers us as well so this is a profound as an economist and someone who's uh, taught actually i was not taught about money or mm-hmm. how money's created yeah but i'm a forester and i what i that's my foundational model that is nature is perfect yeah. nature is is dynamic and right. and moves always to a state of attempts to move to what we call homeostasis resilience <laughs> yeah resilience is the right the the model of what economy should be yeah and yet we we have this debt money system that is completely out of control it's more that's like right. cancer than it is this beautiful harmonious forest ecosystem yeah. that's right so we i think we have an opportunity to rethink our economic models well, we that can. mimic nature well, because, no, we can, we can and that's the wonderful thing about human beings is that we're very creative creators yeah. You know, we we have some we have a great ability to create, and uh, the and I'm trying to remember this where my son shared this with me because he he did a bit of research on because I was talking about Nahal as being a being of four parts right as a part of our philosophy, but also there's another one that goes deeper, and, and uh, Inuak or something like that. Anyway, what it means is that little creators. Ah, because we we're know, all little co-creators. We are. We? we are. We're manifesting. So we our, can create whatever yeah. it is that we dream. 
and going back to John Perkins' statement from the Shuar. Oh, right, the John Perkins economic You've got to change your dream, <clears throat> man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> change your dream, change yeah. the narrative. And then the I reality mean, changes. Right, right. But change the story, and the reality changes. Mm-hmm. So what we have to do is tap back into these ancient indigenous stories, and then we uh, we have the ability to change our reality, mm-hmm. and we can. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I think is the, is the great hope. Because yeah. you need a new narrative. Absolutely. You need a new narrative to um, so to guide you through the new land. Yeah. Right? So maybe just closing on this reflection, um, going back to Oren Lyons. Oren shared with me, he says, something new is emerging. Mm-hmm. The two-row wampum, it's the end of the two-row wampum, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's the emergence of the circle wampum. And he has an image of a circle wampum being made of shells. And, and you are the, the one of the key architects of Wichitoan, yeah. this circle of shared responsibility, trying to maybe find a, um, a return to harmony, return to a system exactly. which existed here well before Edmonton was ever established. We're yes. only like 150 years old, yeah. maybe, yeah. right? Well, yeah. If that, you know, and we're still not, we're, we're not even teenagers yet, probably. <laughs> but yeah. but yeah. Uh, what, what's your sense of, Oren's kind of vision and what what does that suggest for the path forward? Well, what he's saying, how I understand that, is that the two Rowampum will still exist, mm. but it's going to uh, become three dimensional. Oh, interesting. So then that means that it allows that interconnection with other other relations, mm. uh, and and there's a uh, an evolution because in nature things evolve as well, mm-hmm. right? But the foundations don't change. The natural right, right. law doesn't change. change. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I see that as a very, yeah, very hope, hopeful yeah. message. Yeah. And it's funny that you bring that up because I just ordered three rings made specifically for me, my son, and my daughter that are uh, uh, made by um, by this indigenous artist from Chicago, and and they're made out of it's a two row wampum ring. So it has the two row with yeah. the wampum shells yeah. inlaid in there. So it's so almost three dimensional. It's a three dimensional. It's a circular. Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. So I think that it's a timely thing. Wow. Absolutely. Well, thanks, yeah. Lewis. This no, was fantastic. Yeah. So I, you know, hopefully we this will well, emerge as a as a book. I think it it one, could be a bestseller. One well, <laughs> one more statement though is yeah. that in Canada, every single major city is built on these gathering places. Wow. That we call Behonan out here, but our gathering places, every single major city. Yeah, yeah. And I often explain to people like, why Edmonton? Why would I come to this place? And so many people tell a story after being here a couple of years. If they weren't born here, yeah. They find something very comfortable and yep. that calls them here, and they can't put their finger on it. Exactly. But uh, there is a spirit here that's yeah. the Monto spirit. So, exactly, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. That was awesome. Yeah, a lot more can be said, eh? Oh, there's always more. Lewis shares one final thought about the origin of the word Canada. 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 So Canada is a verb, it's not a noun. So can you say that again? Canada means... Canatan Canatan a clean, pure, and sacred, sacred place. place. Yeah. Because the indicator is... The N, the N at the end of the word right. is an indication, or the A-N at the end of a word is an indication of a location. Right. So when when um, Champlain and, uh, and 
Kaboto and them were coming up the St. Lawrence and Hudson Rivers. They right. were asking the Iroquois and the Huron at the same time, what do you call this place? And they said, Kanatan, which means a clean, pure, sacred place. But when you remove the N, it means to make pure, clean. And so Kanata then becomes a verb. Is that because the Algonquin being Cree affected the Iroquois with oh, their yes. language? Because the Iroquois and the Cree <laughs> were very close together. And what ah. happens linguistically is that when, when two peoples are closely connected with each yeah. other, there's, there's a transference of words. Sure. And so what happened is the uh, the Iroquois picked up, they have Cree words in their language. Right. Tanatan is one of them. They call it a village. But the funny thing is, Interesting. a village is a clean, pure, and sacred place. Right. That's what it's... That's what or, is, but it better be. It's a sanctuary, right? <laughs> it's a sanctuary. That's what a village is. Right, that's what I was going to ask you. The Iroquois yeah. would say it's, it means village, but... Um, but you're right, it is a, a village it's a should sacred be place. sacred place yeah. of relationships. Yeah, that's right. Of trust, of See, belonging. So, so it actually means the same thing when you move away from the denotation of the word. Right, right, right. So it means the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, so the argu- there needs to be no argument because mm-hmm. it actually means the same thing. Wow. Right? Wow. Uh, but how many people know this? Yeah. Again, not a lot. So we'll be introducing a lot of ideas. So that's what I'm saying. Kanatan, Kanata, Canada. You know, those, how, how, there's the progression. And, and our, the, the proposed book title is yeah. O Ganata, Return yeah. to Harmony. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Return or, to what we already know is... See, and that's the important thing, is that when we talk about Kanata, and we call it a verb, that's an important message. Mm. Because when you hear the word, when you hear the word Canada, or the name Canada, and you hear the, you hear the um, O Canada, you know... Or you see the flag, it actually is lightly touching you on the shoulder and saying, are you keeping your relationships in order? Because in order to achieve kanatan through kanata, you have to ensure that your relationships are in order. So it's a verb, it's an action. I'm yes. going to say what... That's right. When we write mission statements, yeah. we, when we use verbs, it yeah. implies action. A vision statement, yeah, right? exactly. And therefore our action so is to be is in the, relationship, in right. right relationship. Kanatan is the vision. Mm-hmm. Kanata is the mission. If you look at it that Right, way. right. Wow. So how are we maintaining our relationships? How are we keeping them in order so that we can hopefully achieve that pure... Purity, cleanliness, and sacredness. I, I think that's the tweet of the day. Yeah. We'll just tweet it at the Prime Minister. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so this then would, would provide a, a, another way of looking at Canada in the next 200 years. Right. right? Wow. Yeah. Thanks for joining me on the Economy of Wellbeing podcast. I'm your host, Mark Anielski. I hope you can join us next time for another special guest.